0: Thank you for tuning in to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Today, we have a special message from our 2022 Women's Conference with guest speaker Sharon Thomas. Please enjoy. This morning, everybody sleep good last night. Hopefully you did. Anybody else in the room love and appreciate sleep as much as I do? Anybody? Yeah, I do love sleep. I really do. The older I get, I love it even more. But you know what else? The older I get, the more I love early mornings too. It kind of just happens the older you get, you wake up earlier. So it's you young girls, take it while you got it. You can sleep late because it doesn't happen once you get older. You just wake up. But you know what? I love my early mornings because that's when I hear the Lord the most. That's when I fellowship with him the most, those secret times in the morning when the the world is still quiet to me and I get to be with Jesus. And this morning we get to do that all together, right? We're up early, so even if you're not an early morning girl, you are this morning, (laughs) because here we all are, and we're going to all spend some time with Jesus, and I'm excited about that. So you've got your Bibles open, right, to Matthew 5. And you know what, ladies, in this session, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, We're going to end in chapter 6, and we're even going to jump over to chapter 7 for a second. So you know what? That means we're going to cover a lot of ground in this time. So hope you're ready, and so get those Bibles ready. And as you do, I want to start with um, kind of a crazy story of something that um, happened to me one time. A situation I encountered. So back when I was a young adult, I had gone to a friend's wedding and I had just sat down, you know, the wedding was getting ready to start and I was getting all settled. And I noticed these three people coming in and they sat in the row behind me. And so, you know, just like you do, I just kind of turned and, and smiled, you know, and, and they smiled back at me and, and, that, and that was fine. But a few moments later, I heard them start to whisper and uh, one of them kind of sounded a little bit agitated, and, and so I turned my head again, and, and I didn't see smiles this time. Like, I saw confusion, and they were, like, kind of talking, and then one of them leaned forward and tapped me on the shoulder, and she said, excuse me, can you tell me the name of the couple that's getting married here today? And I'm, I thought that's weird, but I I told him the name and then I heard this like collective gasp and then this like, oh no, look came over their faces and the reality was they were at the wrong wedding. (laughs) And all I could think about was, did you not read the invitation? You know, it was so awkward. They had to get their stuff together, and they literally started walking down the aisle out of the church. That's back when people still got married in churches. Now they get married in barns. But, you know, Um, (laughs) my husband always says, I don't get it. They don't even like animals. Why are they getting married in a barn? (laughs) But anyway, I digress. But they're walking out of the church, and the bridesmaids are starting to come in. I mean, it was just like total, total awkward moment. And really, it all had to do with them not reading the invitation, right? Last night, we began to talk about Jesus' invitation to us, right? An invitation that he gives us into his kingdom. And really, the Sermon on the Mount is full of these details of the invitation. And he encouraged us to keep the words, to pay attention to the details of the invitation. That we, like Christina just said, might live in the blessings. And so this morning, we're going to continue by asking um, Jesus is going to continue by asking us to say yes to him in many, many, many ways. See, one of the things about his kingdom is we need to see right from the beginning who the king is, and it's Jesus. Jesus is king in the kingdom, and as such, that means he gets to rule and reign Over the kingdom. In fact, let me uh, share with you how really the beginning and the very end of this sermon really speak to the authority of Jesus. See, in the beginning in Matthew 5 1, we looked at that last night, but one part that we didn't look at was where it says that he sat down. See, we saw he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, but last night we didn't look at this part. And after he sat down, Back in Bible times, when religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, when they would teach in the synagogue, when it was time for them to teach, they would always take the seat, kind of like they were sitting on the throne, okay, to teach the people. It was a significance of a place of authority. So don't lose that little detail here. When Jesus sat down, he did not have authority in that culture at all, but he was making a statement. He was saying, I have authority. And the words that I'm about to give you have authority. So much so that by the time you get to the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the very end it says that after the people had heard all the words, they were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. He was, had so much authority that as they listened to the words, they were very aware that I've just listened to something like I've never heard before. It was an authority above all others. And Jesus has that authority in his kingdom. And it's people in his kingdom, our answer to him should always be what? Yes, say it louder, yes, that should be our answer. So let's talk about some ways that we can say yes to Jesus, ways that we should say yes, starting with this, saying yes to his voice. Look with me starting in Matthew 5, 21. It starts off like this. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable before the court. That's what Jesus said they had heard. But then listen to what Jesus says in the next verse. He says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. So quite a difference, right, from what they had heard and what Jesus said here. And as we keep reading through this whole chapter, what we find is over and over again, six times to be exact, Jesus uses this same flow of conversation. He starts with, you have heard, and then he says, but I say to you. And as he works his way through all six of these, what I would call mini conversations, he addresses one life issue after another. Uh, Like here in this first one, right? He addressed relationships and strife and anger. And then starting in verse 27, he begins to talk about marriage and uh, relationships and sexual purity. He goes there. He talks about that, right? And then he talks about divorce, and he talks about integrity. He talks about evil and our responses to evil people. He talks about our enemies. And over and over again, he has the same flow of conversation. You have heard, but I say to you. And the interesting thing is that many times, we'll look at some of this, the things that they have heard originated actually in God's law. Some of them were even found in the Ten Commandments. However, somewhere along the way, over time, God's word had become so twisted and so perverted by man's thoughts and man's opinions and intentions, so that now in this moment when the word, Jesus, is standing there, it's very different sounding. He's the fulfillment of the law and what they had heard and what they're living by is very different than what he has to say. So we're going to look at these conversations first as a whole and some consistent things that run in all of those little six conversations. And then at the end of that, we're going to go and look at two of them really, really closely. Okay. So first of all, let's look at this. As Jesus had these six conversations, he was talking to everyone, everyone. Now, how do we know that? Because as you read through that, you see that word a lot. And many times what happened was when he would mention what they had heard, he would use the word whoever. And then when he would talk about what he had to say, he would say, but I say to you that everyone. See, the point was Jesus wanted every person there to know he was talking to them. He was talking to everyone on the mountain. And he's talking to everyone in the room today, too. See, when he was speaking, he wasn't just talking to their neighbor. He wasn't talking about their sister or their mother or their father. And don't we have a tendency to do that, right? We hear somebody we're speaking and we're like, oh man, I wish so-and-so was here because they really need to hear this, right? And we totally remove ourselves from it. See, that's what whoever does a lot of times. It leaves room for us to excuse ourselves from the conversation. But when Jesus says everyone, it includes every one of us. And I believe the reason he wanted to make it clear that he was speaking to everyone is connected to the next thing that I want, or I think he wants us to see. See, in all of these conversations, he's establishing something. And what it is, is guilt. (laughs) He's establishing guilt. He's establishing their need for a Savior. And this applies to everyone. Everyone. See, Jesus didn't tiptoe around anybody's feelings that day. He didn't at all. He jumped right into the guts of human existence. He spoke into the raging anger that goes on in our hearts, the contempt, the hatred, the strife, the lust, the selfishness, the manipulation, the revenge, the hate, all kinds of it. He saw all these things in everyone's hearts. Because remember, we talked about this last night. He could see them way beyond what they looked like on the outside. He saw all that was going on on the inside. But we need to see here as well and remember his first yes to bless us, right? He's not shaking his finger in people's faces, everyone's faces, as if to say, what a worthless lot of people you are. What in the world am I going to do with you? No, clearly that's not his aim. His aim is to reveal himself as the savior of the world the one that every single person, everyone needs because he wants to deliver us from that guilt because he can see we need him. Oh, we really, really need him. And he knows we need to see that too. We have to see it. We need to see we're poor in spirit. So when he speaks, he speaks to everyone and he speaks to every heart and he speaks about our guilt as he goes past the past the outward exterior, into that perceived religious standard that they had all gotten caught up in. And he goes right to the heart every time. And that's the third consideration I think he wants us to see here. The heart. See, in all these conversations, he went to the heart over and over again. With murder, the verses we read in verses 21 and 22, he was he went to the heart of, of of anger and and pride and that heart of superiority that we can have so many times and the resentment. That's what leads eventually to murder. He goes to the heart there. With adultery, when he talks about that, he goes to the heart of lust, and he talks about that. With divorce, he goes to the heart of selfishness. With integrity, he goes to the heart of manipulation and deceit. With relationships. heart of being offended and being unforgiving and being bitter and having a vengeful heart he mentions the behavior surely those outward things that happen but he goes to the heart because he knows it's the heart that always drives what we do again why does he do this to make us hang our heads in shame and think there's no hope for ourselves no We already know he already established his yes to us. He did that first, right? He came and established his yes, and then he started talking about all this yucky stuff that's in our hearts. Shame is not a blessed way to live. So we know that's not his plan. So what is it that he's doing? He's establishing that guilt of all of us, every one of us in sin, so he can get into the guts of our hearts, so that then he can extend this amazing invitation into a better way, to look at us and say, you don't have to live like that anymore. You can live in righteousness, you can live in peace, you can live in joy. But here's the thing, if we don't see our guilt, if we don't see how dirty our hearts are, and a lot of times there are layers of dirt in our heart, right? I mean, we get this part, and then we're like, oh, no, look at that. Have you ever done that? Like one time when I was a young married woman, and we had just bought this house, and, you know, I cleaned the floor, and I thought I got it dirty. And then my husband brought this, this machine home, and we cleaned the floor, and it was like, oh, my goodness. Like we didn't know the layers of dirt that were there. And I think that's the way it is in our hearts. We don't even understand the effects that sin has had in our hearts. And Jesus knows if we don't see that, we're never going to even pay attention to the invitation because we're never going to know that we need a Savior. If we don't see our guilt, if we don't see the stuff in our hearts, we won't know that we need Him. And that answer of yes that needs to come out of our mouths won't ever come. So when He speaks... He speaks to everyone, and he reveals the guilt and gets into our hearts. But we have to remember, don't forget this, it's for our good. Because remember what he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the ones who know they need a Savior. Blessed are those who mourn. They mourn their sin and they reach out to the Savior who can comfort them. Blessed are those who meekly trust their Savior Jesus to rescue them because he will give them the inheritance of the earth as they live in his perfect plan. See, look at the word uh, perfect in verse 48. It jumps to the end of chapter 5. And that would be our last consideration here of all these conversations as a whole. See, in verse 48, after all of these conversations, this is how Jesus ends the conversation. He says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, in light of all of these things that Jesus just talked about, that would seem completely overwhelming, right? Unless we understand Jesus' yes to us. So let's make sure we do. Remember last night we heard him say this over in verse 20. He said, your righteousness has to do what? Surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees or you won't even be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we saw his yes to us is that he will be our righteousness. So we could surpass that righteousness. Well, now the same is true when he calls us to be perfect. See, when he uses these extreme things that are obviously impossible for us to do, he's creating a need on the inside of us. He's saying to us, every single one of us, that you can't do it, but I'll do it for you. I can do it. So when we come to him and we're poor in spirit and we're mourning our sin, he's he's not just giving us a surpassing righteousness. Really what he's doing is he's giving us a perfect righteousness. Righteousness. And it's actually called, in theological terms, it's called the great exchange. The great exchange. We give our poor spirits to him and he gives us his perfect Heart. Such a gift, such an invitation. His standard for his kingdom is perfection. And if we ever try to water that down in any way for ourselves or for anyone else, we're undoing the glory of the gospel. We have to realize the standard in the kingdom of God is perfection. A perfection that goes way beyond anything you could ever display on the outside. It goes to the inside into the heart. See, most of us have heard this. We hear. That as long as your good stuff outweighs your bad stuff, as long as the scales tip in your favor, well, you'll be good with God. But Jesus, holy, righteous, perfect God says, that is what you have heard, but what is actually required is perfection. And he provides it. Praise God, right? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Yeah, he does. He does. So back to the main point that we're really talking here is Jesus is calling us to listen to his voice over and above every other voice we've ever heard. Even the voices in our head, right? Even the voices from long, long ago when we were a child and they still tend to play on repeat in our head. The voices all around us today, doesn't matter, over and above every voice we've ever heard. And I think it's important to make sure this isn't missed. See, you're not going to find a verse anywhere in here in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus looks straight at us and says, You need to listen to me over and above every voice you've ever heard. But Jesus is saying exactly that. (laughs) You need to listen to me over and above every voice you've ever heard. As he addresses one life issue after another. And, And don't you know, he addresses a lot more than than just as what right here, okay? This is just one conversation. There's a lot of conversations in the Bible. He's saying, if you want to live in my kingdom and thrive there, if you want to know the great blessings of righteousness, peace, and joy, you have to say yes to my voice over and above every other voice. See, every time he speaks, there is an invitation standing, an invitation to listen to him And an invitation from the king of kings, don't you think it, it, it demands a response? It does. And whether or not we realize it or not, we are responding. We are responding either with an outright no or maybe an annulling like we talked about last night, right? Or a committed yes. And ladies, may yes always be the best response. It should be our best response. It should be the response that we give. And I absolutely hope that it is. My, my desire as a daughter, as a child in the kingdom of God, I want my response to be yes. But I, I believe it's really important to note here that saying yes to the voice of Jesus is probably one of the very best yeses you could ever make in your life. But it is also a very intense and challenging commitment to make. It really it really is. Because see in a setting like this, we get all excited and we're like, yes, Jesus. I'm gonna say yes to Jesus. I'm gonna say yes to his voice every day of my life. And, and we're excited. And these these moments are important. But you're going to go home, and you're going to go back to work, and you're going to go back into the challenges of life, and you're going to go back into the things in your heart that are not pure. And Jesus has things to say about all of that. And so that yes has to translate into every moment. It needs to go into every thought. It needs to go into every decision, every feeling, every relationship, every high, every low, all those things. Jesus has something to say. He talks a lot. He's one of those wordy people, you know. He he talks a lot. I mean, you, could study I really believe I'm becoming to believe this more and more I could literally just study the Sermon on the Mount for the rest of my life and he would be have plenty to say to me for the rest of my days his words are that rich I was talking with one of the ladies here this morning when I was getting an extra donut and um and and she was just telling me as she says the older I get and I've been studying the word for like 30 years and she said "It, it I just realized more and more I don't know Because his words are that rich. But here's the thing about his words. It's such a big commitment. Because what Jesus says is often very different than what we've heard and what we think and what we feel. But if we have said yes to his voice, then it's our thoughts that are going to have to make a change. It's our feelings that are going to have to be adjusted. It's, it's our choices and our lifestyle and our habits and our opinions that are going to need some repositioning in this life. And as I've been meditating on Jesus' words here for months and months now, he's spoken a whole lot to me about what does it really look like in your life to say yes. And one of the most profound, impacting things for me that he said to me one day, through the just spirit, you know, that fellowship that we have with him. I was out on a prayer walk, actually. I do that a lot and just li- try to listen and talk with the Lord. And, and when, you, when you're in his word a lot, it's great because his word is his language. So then you can have conversation with him and you understand. And one of the things he said to me, and it just pierced my heart, he said, yes doesn't mean you will try. Yes means you will. And, and it went really deep. And I'm still just meditating on that and trying to translate that into how I live and move every day. Because I think that many of us, myself included, we may think we're saying yes to Jesus sometimes. But the reality is what we're really saying is, I will try. I'll try to listen to you, Jesus. I'm going to try to get into my Bible I'm going to try to give your word preeminence over all the other voices in my life. Now, trying is not a bad thing. Trying can be good. I mean, there's good in trying. But what we have to differentiate is that trying is not yes. In fact, Jesus showed me that trying is really like an upside down yes. So it's kind of like a yes, but it's not really an, an upright yes. Because trying implies we haven't really decided yet. We're just kind of giving it a trial run to see how it works out for us, right? Or it leaves room to kind of back out if it gets a little bit too hard or too uncomfortable. If I didn't say that I really was going to do it and if I don't like it, then I can just kind of back out. Or it infers that I may not have what it takes and I might think that so I don't want to give my full yes yet. So I'll just say, I'll try. Guess what? You don't have what it takes. (laughs) You don't. And I don't have what it takes either. That's why we have to meekly trust Jesus. And we have to lean into his strength, that rest, right? We rest in him without the wrestle. See, I believe as I've meditated on this more and more, the one who is trying is still wrestling. You're trying to take care of your life yourself. You're trying to manage it. You're trying to figure out, is this a good idea or not? Ladies, can I just free you up in that? If Jesus said it, it's a good idea, okay? So you don't even have to go there. You don't have to wonder, is this going to be good for me? It's good for you. It may not feel good as you have to reposition all those things in your life that you've been living according to what you've heard and, and been used to. It may not feel good, but it is good because he's good. He's our good Father, and He only wants us to receive blessing. There's not a meekness of spirit in trying because you're still in the wrestle. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. He wants us to trust what He says, and He wants us to respond with yes. So, Keep that in mind as we now listen into two of those six conversations, and we're going to get a little deeper into them. And they are the ones about how we treat our enemies. So let's look over in Matthew 5, starting in verse 38. And we'll listen here to what Jesus says. Starting in verse 38, he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks from you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So how do you say yes to that? I mean, what would it even look like in day-to-day life for us to do that? Because I can imagine as you hear those words of Jesus, just like me, immediately thoughts rise up in your mind of people who have offended you, who you don't like, who've hurt you. And our first response is to push back, right? To resist them. And no doubt, the same was true for the people listening that day. See, these circumstances may not seem normal to us, but for the people of that day, they were very real circumstances for them. Because they were living under a harsh Roman rule, and they had been for a very long time. So scenarios like, say, a tax collector literally slapping them across the face in front of the public in the middle of the town square because they didn't have enough money to pay their taxes, that would have been a a normal thing that they would have experienced. Or a tax collector could sue them, okay? And, and take their shirt, which by the way, that is a very personal garment. So for us, that would be like your undergarment. So you're talking about taking something very personal and degrading something, right? And they were they, they didn't have any say so in the matter. They just had to, to let that happen. Or a group of Roman officials say, could be walking by and maybe you're out at the lake and you've got your family there on the Sabbath and they could come by and just out of the meanness in their heart, they could demand that you get up and leave your family and pick up their bags and carry them all the way into the the city and you would have to do it. And they could even say, and give me your lunch too because I'm hungry. I mean, these were real happenings for these people. And the point is this, that the things that Jesus mentions here they weren't real to—they're to, uh, not real to us. They were real to them, but we all have had moments like them. If you think about it, because we all have had moments where somebody has shamed us in some way, right? We've all had times where people have stolen things, even precious things, away from us, or people were just downright selfish and and wanted to use us for their own purposes. And we've all experienced that. And sometimes we've been the one doing that. We have to acknowledge that too, right? So when offenses. Like that, take place, you better believe that the people listening to Jesus on the mountain that day immediately thought, Yeah, well, I, I agree with that eye for eye, tooth for tooth thing that I've been taught all my life, and I'm thankful for that, right? Because they wanted justice, and, and we do too. God made all of us that way. We're made in His image, and He is a just God. So that desire for justice is not wrong. But in a broken world, where things are not often just and people do shame us and they do steal from us and they're selfish beyond belief sometimes. You know, um, God knew that It's going to be like that because he can see our hearts. So here's what happened with the law. When he was bringing his people out of Egypt way back in the Old Testament, and he was establishing the law because they were just getting established as a nation, he gave them this law. And one of the things in that law was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So it actually was in the law of God. But that law was given to the judges so that the judges could lead the land and the people of the land and have a mindset. of how to judge in situations. It was never, ever intended for me individually to take that law into my own heart and hands and and live by it on a day-to-day basis. In fact, knowing the gospel truth that you and I know now, right, about the sacrificial love and grace of Jesus to us who shamed him, stole from him, and were selfish beyond belief, I believe God ultimately gave that law in the first place to later be a platform to showcase his glorious love. See, when he says, but I say to you, do not resist him who is evil, he's not asking the people on the mountain that day, he's not asking us to do anything he wasn't gonna do himself. See, Jesus is inviting us to respond to evil and to injustice the same way he does. He's clearly saying to the people of that day, and I believe to us in this day, his words are still as powerful today as they were 2,000 years ago. We have got to live and learn to handle uh, hurts and offenses and wounds differently than the world. We are kingdom people. We are salt. We are light. And Jesus is saying, I want you to flavor the world. I want you to light up the world with my glorious love. See, every one of us, I, know, I don't know many of you, but I know that every one of us in the room can think of people who have shamed us at some time, who have stolen from us, who just treated us with selfishness. We could all tell stories of that, big ways it's happened, baby, little ways, just in your office or in your house or in your neighborhood, Right? Just day-to-day things. And that desire for justice rises up on the inside of us, doesn't it? Retaliation. Like, they did this to me, so I'm going to do this to them. That's what an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth means, right? You give them right back what they gave or took from you. It's our natural way. It's the way we resist evil. We don't want it, so we're going to give it right back, right? But Jesus says, that's what you've heard that's what you're used to but that's not the way life is lived in my kingdom because he's already said this right he's already said blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy blessed are the pure in heart blessed are the peacemakers and now he describes the mercy he describes that purity of heart that peacemaking lived out in a way that is mind-blowing to us he says if they slap this cheek give them this one right if they take something very personal from you, offer to give them more. If they demand that you go this far for them, will you just go further. Actually live with a generous heart and hands open to people, even those who hurt you. Now, we can hear that, and I speak from experience, and I can respond like I cannot even believe that you would even think about asking me to do that. Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they said to me? Do you know what they took from me? Do you know how toxic they are? Like that's a buzzword in our culture right now, right? So maybe you said it in your prayers. Lord, they're toxic, so they're, they don't belong here, right? There's no way, Jesus, that I could ever say yes to that. But you know what? Jesus does know how toxic people can be. <laughs> he does know how they can take and shame and steal. He took all of that onto himself, right? So keep listening as he continues to speak because it just gets a little harder, ladies, I'm just telling you. Verse 43, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his sun to shine on the evil and the good And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, this one is especially interesting because what they had heard wasn't found in the law, actually, at all. All the others had been, but not this one. Now, the the part about loving your neighbor, yes, that was in the law. But the hating your enemy part, it wasn't anywhere in the law. But somewhere along the way, amidst all the oppression, amidst all the hurt and the injustice, this idea of hating your enemies had developed. And people had taught it as if it was God's law and they all believed it was see when you hear something long enough and you hear it repeated often enough you actually begin to live as if it's true even if it's not not at all which is why Jesus says what he does in verse 44 but I say to you love your enemies see they thought hate your enemies was what God said And Jesus says the complete opposite. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, doing that can sound impossible and feel impossible, but it's not. It's challenging, absolutely challenging, no doubt. And it will never make sense in our justice-seeking hearts except for if we listen to Jesus and let him purify our hearts with the message and the experience of his love Poured out into us. It makes perfect sense to lean into that and just meekly trust him as he lets us experience doing what he's asking us to then give out. See, look at the word love with me. This is so helpful to understand. The English language and the language of the Bible are very different in the way that they handle the idea of love. See, English uses one word, love, to mean many different things, like Preference, like we might say, I love chocolate, right? Or enjoyment, oh, I love to go to the beach. Or affection, like I love it when I feel this way, or I love you, or a loyalty, warm fuzzy feelings, even sexual things. I mean, we use that word love for all these different things. But the original language of the Bible doesn't handle love like that. And, and so, in fact, it uses three different words that describe uh, different meanings for love. But in English, we just translate them all in one way, and then we lump it all in there together. And so it can really cause some confusion in our minds for what Jesus is actually saying, what the Bible says about love. See, when Jesus says to you, but I say to you, love your enemies, he uses the word Agape. Now, agape love is a description of God's love for his people. And it's expressed in two ways it's expressed in attitude and it's expressed in action. Okay? It's an attitude that sees people as valuable because they're created in the image of God. But it's also an action, an action that chooses to bless. So when Jesus says to you, but I say to you, love your enemies, what he's asking us to do is to have an attitude about a person who is our enemy, all right? And that attitude would be to see them as a person of value because they have the Amago Day, the image of God upon them. And your action should be a choice to bless them, all right? Jesus isn't telling you to have warm, fuzzy feelings about that blessing. He's not asking you to do that. He's not even asking you to like the person, to prefer the person. But he's asking you to see them with value, in attitude, and he's asking you to choose to bless that person. I heard somebody say this recently, and I think it's so descriptive and powerful uh, and gives us an image to attach this to. They said, Jesus is not calling us to be doormats. He's calling us to be doorkeepers. See, many times as Christians, we've heard this, these things, we've heard them, these thoughts that convey, oh, I just got to lay down like a doormat and let people walk all over me, right? And it could sound like Jesus might be asking us to do that, but that is not the passive response that he's asking for. You think about a doormat, right? A doormat lays on the ground. It's placed outside of the house. It's vulnerable to all of the elements outside. A doormat's walked on, it's rarely attended to, never noticed really, and it's used over and over again to wipe the scum off of people's feet. Now, knowing the blessings that Jesus has already spoken over us, right, all those yeses he gave us, that does not sound like his plan. Being a doorkeeper in his kingdom, that sounds more like it, okay? See, a doorkeeper, think about a doorkeeper. A doorkeeper's inside the house, right? They're inside, they're protected, they're cared for, they're distinguished, they're privileged. And as God's children, we are, right? A doorkeeper has authority to open the door. And Jesus is giving us that authority when he gives us this direction, this invitation to love and bless our enemies with the authority of his love. We get to invite people in to experience the same goodness of God that we have. So what Jesus is really saying is when you take the offenses of others, the hurts of others, and you turn them into opportunities of blessing, you're operating in my agape love that comes straight from the throne room of heaven. And that's not being a doormat. That is a powerful kingdom position of love, of divine love as a child of God. It clearly distinguishes us as God's child. It shines. It flavors this world that is so broken with hurt and offense. See, what does he say in verses 44 and 45? He says, but I say to you, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be what? Sons of your father who is in heaven. And then he points out that our father who is in heaven chooses to send rain and sunshine on the evil and the good. It doesn't say that he likes evil people. It doesn't say that he has warm, fuzzy feelings for people, but he knows they're his children and he chooses to bless them. And he goes on to call us as well to be different than this world because we live in the house. We are children of our Father. We're in the kingdom. See, remember what it says in Matthew 7, 13, and 14. We talked about this last night. The narrow and the wide gate, right? There's two gates to walk through. See, most people in the world, even many Christians, live with that um, wide gate mindset of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Love the people who are good to you and push the people away. Even maybe hate those people if they did something really bad enough that are evil. That's a wide gate. Jesus is saying here, ladies, choose a different one. Choose the narrow gate, the one where you love your enemies, the one where you pray for those who hurt you. You know what? Have you ever tried to walk through a narrow passageway that was so narrow and so maybe like you had a couch or something, you're trying to get it through a doorway and you turn that couch every way you can but it is not going through that doorway, right? And so I'm sure you have stories about that and I do too, I won't go there right now. But you might come to the point where if you wanna go in that doorway, you're gonna have to choose to leave that couch out here because it is not going through the doorway. You know what, the gate in the kingdom in regard to this, is so narrow, you will never fit your unforgiveness. I don't care what it's for. You will never fit fit your bitterness, your vengeance, your rage on the inside of you, all those conversations that you have, if you could tell them off like you want to, you know, all that stuff, it doesn't fit through the door. And if you're going to say yes to Jesus, you're going to have to choose to leave those things at the cross. And come in the door and stand on the inside of that door and be willing to open it up for others, even your enemies, to come in. That is a hard word from Jesus. His voice is intense there. But I am telling you, when you choose to say yes, you will find some of the greatest righteousness, peace, and joy gifts you've ever experienced in your life. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the ones who meekly lean into what he says. They gain. See, anything anybody else takes from you, Jesus is gonna give it all back, probably in much more portion than you could even imagine. And I know that so many of us in this room have situations where people have hurt us, big ways, little ways. Jesus is inviting us to live differently. And sometimes, this is what I've found personally, Sometimes the only ones who will ever know you're saying yes are you and God Himself. It might be the smallest of gestures, right? And you might have to open that door for that enemy a hundred, maybe even a thousand, maybe more times than that. Jesus is growing your own heart in that, and He's continuing to love that person through you. You're flavoring their life, you're flavoring their world with His love and blessings. We just have to say yes. We don't have to know how we're going to do it. We just have to say yes. And I've found that many times he will show us how on the heels of our yes. The yes has to come first. And when we do that, we're meekly trusting his way. So I know that there's probably some crazy thoughts running through all of our hearts. Like, how in the world could I even do that? Because that's really intense. And I get it. Because when Jesus speaks to me about that too, like, I have to process through it. Like, it's, it's not always a quick yes. I want it to be, but it's not always quick for me. And, and, and I know maybe it's not a quick yes for, for any of us in the room. And one of the beautiful things is that in the kingdom where we have relationships with one another, sisters in Christ, we should be encouraging each other in this in what Jesus has said. Often we do the opposite. A friend tells us how somebody offended him. You're like, oh man, I would let her have it, right? Or yeah, I'd be mad too. Yeah, you don't need to call her back. Yeah, you you know, we just jump right into the muck and mire of it. Where really what we need to do is say, hey, you remember what Jesus said? You remember? Man, I know that's a hard yes. Can I pray for you about that? I don't even know how you would do that. Could we just ask the Lord and maybe he'll help us figure this out together? And we cheer one another on. We become cheerleaders. Yes, 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 right? And so we wanna take just a moment right now to pause and to get in a little clusters, maybe two or three people at the most, okay? So you can just turn to someone near you and take about 10 minutes or so. Maybe not that long. We'll see where we're at on time. But we're gonna throw this question up on, on the screen. And the question is, why is this a challenging yes for me personally and maybe just share together maybe pray together but instead of using this time to go oh that's awful i would really be struggling too (laughs) encourage each other i know we want to say that and you can say that's really hard but listen to what jesus said but beware when you share they're going to say the same thing back to you right because we're cheering one another on we're making each other stronger to be that salt, to be that light. So let's go ahead and do that now. I know some of you may need to run to the restroom if you really have to do that, go ahead. But don't don't steal away from this time by getting coffee and all that other stuff. Really, really zoom in, okay? So, all right, and we'll come back in just a few minutes and continue. So ladies, just call me the big interrupter. I'm going to interrupt your conversation. It's a scary thing when you sit up a room this big full of women talking to think, will you ever ring and beckon again, you know, but yes, you will, right? Yes. <laughs> All right. I hope those conversations were rich even in that short amount of time, and I hope that won't be the end of your conversation, that you will cheer one another on. You'll pray for one another, and then maybe even over lunch today or during the break, you'll continue that conversation. And we're going to bring that part of the conversation to a close. I am going to say one more thing that I I hadn't planned to say, but as I was just sitting here, I just sensed the Holy Spirit would have me to share this as well about that whole idea of what Jesus says about loving, blessing our enemies, not resisting them. It takes a lot of energy to be angry takes a lot of energy and thought and time, and and it's so wasteful because that's walking through a wide gate. And what did Jesus tell us about the wide gate? The wide gate always leads to destruction. That energy is not going to produce anything good for you just personally, but especially for the kingdom of God. And you're in the kingdom of God, and you want to experience those blessings. So being very intentional about taking, because that that stuff will just start, right? It's not like you even intend sometimes to get that roll of thought going in your mind when you're angry or whatever. But when you can learn how to take that and intentionally say, no, I am not going to use my time. I'm not going to use my emotions. I'm not going to use my thoughts for." A, 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 a destructive purpose. I have a, I, have a, I have a purpose in the kingdom of God and I'm going to do something with this. I'm not going to be a doormat. I'm going to rise up as a doorkeeper and I'm going to use that same energy to find the narrow gate here. Because you know one of the things Jesus said about the gate is it is narrow. It's hard to find. And you might be in your heart like, I don't even know how I would do that. Keep looking keep seeking he'll show you how use your energy to do that and and it will lead to something beautiful something that you probably can't even imagine that could glorify god build his kingdom in you and in other people and will leave you with such a sense of fullness that righteousness right versus all of that energy for something that is so destructive for yourself and the people around you and never leads to anything good So that was free. I didn't plan to say that. It's all free. It's all free, really. All right, but I think it's good. And it's something that I have to tell myself often. So here's the thing. We've been talking. We've just gotten into this. This is saying yes to his voice. But you know what? Jesus is king. And there's a lot of other things about him as being king that we need to say yes to. This next one is Jesus' order. Jesus' order. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, think of it like this. You've probably heard this phrase, too many cooks in the kitchen, right? What does that imply? That there are too many people who want to be in charge. Too many people who want to set the order of how things should be done. And we all know it doesn't work. One leader is best. And in the kingdom of God... When we are invited in, we need to understand that Jesus is the king. And he's the one who gets to set the order of how things are done in his kingdom. Now that affects so many things in Our lives. And there are literally passages all over the Bible that speak to how God wants us to order things in our lives. But right here in chapter six, that runs from verses one to 18, Jesus really speaks about how we order our hearts, and especially how we order our hearts in regard to our expressions of worship to God. So in his very first statement, he intros a theme that will really run through everything he says here in these 18 verses. Listen to what he says in verse one. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men, that it, beware of practicing your fra- righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And then he goes on to give um, an example of how a hypocritical person would actually do that with their act of generosity, with their acts of praying, with their acts of fasting. And he describes the disorder in their hearts as being that they are seeking a man's attention, they're seeking man's honor, they're seeking man's affirmation, And not God's. And as he talks about all of this, he uses a phrase over and over again. He says, in order that, or in order to, which is a phrase that really talks about motive. It it expresses why we do things. For instance, in verse um, five, this is what Jesus says He says, And when you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be what? To be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. See, the motive of prayer there is so out of order because it's seeking man. On the outside, it looks like they're seeking God, but really in their heart, they're seeking man's attention. And as Jesus talks about all these actions of worship, he reveals this hypocritical disorder. Their actions of worship are really being expressed in order to get attention from people, in order to get honor from people, and for people to notice them and praise them and say good things about them. Now, in the kingdom, that's obviously a very disordered heart because worship should be about who? About God, right? About our Father, about worshiping Him, and our focus and our attention should be on Him. But I believe there's more to what He's saying. Because there's another theme that also runs through everything Jesus says here. And I think it really can speak to our hearts as well. And it's the theme of being seen by our Father. And how rewarding that is to us. See, with each expression of worship, Jesus says, do it in secret. If you read through all of these, he says, do them in secret. And he goes so far as to to be pretty extreme about it. I mean, he says, when you give... Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, as if that's really even possible, right? But So there's an extremity in what he's saying. When you pray, he says, go into your closet. And, and then he actually tells them, make sure you shut the door, okay? <laughs> and then pray. And then when you fast, he says, wash your face. Like, wash your face and, and get, like, all prettied up so that nobody will even know that, that you're struggling, Right? That you're fasting. And every time he says that, he says to them, there's going to be a reward for you in this secret place with your Father. And ladies, the reward is actually being seen. It's what people tend to seek anyway. But it's not being seen by men. It's not being honored by men, by being affirmed by men. It's being seen and honored and affirmed by our Father. Over and over in this section, as Jesus talks about seeking men's attention, he calls them to something better. He says, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He will repay you. Every one of us has a need to be seen, to to be heard, to be noticed, to be affirmed. But people will never meet that need for us. They will never be able to. Even the people who love us the most and who do try to pour into us the most, there are places in our heart that they really can't touch. People cannot meet that. And when we seek it from people, we'll get a little bit. We'll get enough to to leave us wanting more, but it will never be truly satisfied. You know why? Because we were created for fellowship with God. And in that fellowship, we will be affirmed and we will be valued by him. And that need will be met by him, which is such a great reward. Jesus knows that's the best order for our hearts. He knows that. But he knows how prone we are to get disordered hearts, right? He knows that about us. So he calls us on purpose to the secret place to help us, to protect us from this disordered heart. He wants to bless us with his presence. He knows how much we need it. Now, does that mean we're never to worship God with other people? That we're never to pray together with other people? Absolutely not. Because the Bible's very clear. It calls us to gather together and worship and to pray together. And there's a whole lot that could be said about that. But bottom line, Jesus is calling us into his presence as we worship with a heart that's ordered toward him. Even in a collective setting in our hearts, our worship needs to be about God, right? Even as we're here all together, we need to be connecting with him in a secret place. And I think the more we find that secret place, we don't even have to go in the closet and shut the door, right? We get so used to knowing that place in our hearts and being able, even in a crowd of people, to get into that secret place with our God. So we wanna give you even a moment right now to do that. As we're all together, To just get into a quiet, collective moment where you can seek Him. In this section of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is addressing the order of our hearts and worship, there was a moment when He instructed them about how to pray. And that's where He gives what we all know as the Lord's Prayer. Right. So we're going to pause right now. And we're going to ask you to try to find that secret place in your heart, in your mind with the Lord. And I I would encourage you to bow your head, to, you know, close your eyes, to shut out the distractions around you, and to just go to that place in the Lord's Prayer. We're going to actually put the Lord's Prayer on the screen, or you can use it there in your Bible, but I want to encourage you to go through it line by line, and just express conversation to the Lord based on those lines. For instance, where it says, our Father, talk to Him as your Father. Talk to him as what you know about his goodness as your father. Ask him things because he's your father. Let him know how much you love him being your father. All the things, all the expressions that can come from that. And then just work your way through line by line. We're going to have some soft worship music playing while you do that. We're just going to get into that secret place for a few moments. And then I'll call us back together again and we'll continue. Let say this last part with me. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. It's just so good to find that secret place with the Lord. And it's a thing that we need to say yes to. Something we need to say yes to. It might look different in each of our lives. It might be in your closet. It it, it might be even in your car sometimes, just finding that secret place, but learning how to get alone with God. There's an old hymn that says, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And that's what happens in the secret place amidst many other things and many other conversations we have with God. So I absolutely encourage you to say yes to that order of your heart. Jesus has the authority to order every area of our heart. But especially for worship, he talks to us about that secret place, you and God, where you know him and he knows you, and you have treasures there together. There's still more, though, so let's talk about this also, saying yes to his treasure. See, listen to what Jesus says starting in verse 19 of chapter 6. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But he says, lay up for yourselves where? Treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. And he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I remember years ago hearing somebody pray this prayer. They said, God, I want to love the things you love, and I want to hate the things you hate. And that prayer marked me so deeply. And I, I started to pray it too because I wanted to line my heart up with God's heart. I wanted to line up my order of treasuring things with his. Because the more time that I spent in the secret place with God, I had become more and more aware that I treasured things that he really didn't. So I started to pray, God, purify my heart because I want to value what you value. And I want to be disgusted by the things that disgust you, God. I I want to have that ordered rightly. You know, throughout the generations, we've seen that the stuff of this world that we would call its treasures can literally become what we worship, right? See, the economy of this world says very clearly, get as much treasure as you can while you're here. It's going to make you happy, it's going to make you secure, it's going to make you safe, it's going to bring you esteem, it's going to bring you honor, all the things. But Jesus speaks with authority when he says moth and rust are going to destroy all your stuff. And thieves are going to break in and steal it. So what is he saying? Is he saying that stuff doesn't even matter? You just just live like a pauper and not even care? I don't think that's what he's saying because that doesn't ring true with the whole counsel of God's word. We always have to look at what Jesus says and consider who we know him to be and the other things he has said. Or we can take things off on on some real tangents, right? I mean, the riches of this earth can be used for great purpose in this life if they're ordered correctly and according to God's word. But I do believe he's speaking to the economy of our hearts that easily gets dirty with the king uh, the stuff in the kingdom of this world, right? And so it's that part of our heart that loves this stuff, right? that loves the treasures of this earth, that loves going to Target, you know? And I'm not pointing no fingers, right? But I mean, we do, right? We value the stuff we can get in places like Target or or Amazon or whatever. We we like the security it gives us. We like the, the pleasure it gives us. And it drives us so much of the time to spend the majority of our time and energy and resources amassing more and more stuff and beginning to think of that stuff as our treasure treasure. And his message here is twofold. First, he couldn't be more clear. The treasures of this earth are not going to last. And I think most of us know that in our heads. And most of us would even go, yep, that's true. Amen. They will not last. But you know what? Our credit card statements and our closets and our calendars don't reveal that we really believe that. But even more revealing may be to look at the condition of our treasure chest in heaven. See, I don't know if you've ever thought about that or not, but that's really the part that Jesus shares here that's really gotten into my heart a whole lot lately. Jesus is very clear that the best way to live now is to store up treasure for them. Treasure that moth and rust will not destroy and that thieves will not break in and steal. See, he's saying it's a treasure that will last forever. And forever, have you said yes to that? Have you said yes to being active about doing that? And do you even know how to do it? Do I know how to do it? I believe the first step in storing up treasure in heaven is having a clear value of what God loves and what he hates. Because that's going to reveal what's valuable in the kingdom of heaven. See, I'm most certain the economy in heaven is very different from the economy here, right? The things that are valuable there probably don't hold near as much valuable here and vice versa. And, and you can't store up treasure if you don't know what's valuable, right? You won't even know what to put in the treasure chest. See, most of us know exactly what it looks like to store up treasure in this earth. And we spend a lot of time doing it. Some of us might even be experts at it. Some of us might have a life plan for the rest of our life of how we're going to manage the treasures here. And you know what? That does not have to be a bad thing. God's word speaks a whole lot to being stewards in this life of of the, of the, the resources in this world. But what about your treasure there? Have you thought about that at all? Do you have a plan at all? What's God's plan? You know where I believe we find out what his plan is? In the secret place. It's when you spend that time with God and he starts showing you what's valuable to his heart and what he wants you to store up and how you can. We, he becomes like the best financial counselor, like one-on-one, and it's free. He just wants to tell you how you can become a rich person in heaven. Now, there's a lot of ways, I believe, the Bible teaches we can store up treasure in heaven, but I want to take a moment to share just one with you. First, let me say this. It all starts with the true treasure, and that's Jesus, Right? He is our treasure. And of course, the commodities that we've talked about of righteousness, peace, and joy. I mean, these are the foundations of treasure in the kingdom. But building upon that, let me share this one. I believe every time you say yes, it's like put yes to Jesus. It's like putting a jewel in your treasure chest in heaven. If you can think of it like this, every yes holds a treasure in it. One day... I want to arrive at the pearly gates a very wealthy woman. I do. Jesus said I can be great in the kingdom, great in the treasures that he has for my life. I could spend my whole life trying to become great in this world and building up treasure and amassing riches here, or I could do that. I probably don't have the energy and the time to do both. I need to manage this treasure, but I need to store this treasure for heaven. You know, if somebody of great wealth is set to arrive at a, at a certain place, usually there's a lot of preparation for their, for their coming, right? Because they're, you know, they're acknowledged for the wealth that they have. Have you ever thought about the day that you arrive in heaven? Like, it, are the angels going to be excited about you coming? are they going to have made preparation for you to be there because you have a very well known name there before you ever get there like they know you as that woman who always said yes to jesus and she's arriving today isn't this an exciting day see every time you say yes now there's a blessing in it but in heaven it's more than a blessing it's a treasure I could talk about that all day. I've been thinking about that so much lately, but we don't have time for that. So I'm gonna move on to verses 22 and 23 as we begin to bring some of this to a close. These are some of my favorite verses. I've held on to them for years. Let's listen to what Jesus says about saying yes to his truth. Read with me starting in verse 22. He says, "'The lamp of the body is the eye. "'If therefore your eye is clear, "'your whole body will be full of light. "'But if your eye is bad,' Your whole body will be full of darkness. Bottom line, when truth fills your perspective, then you're going to be lit up from the inside out, right? But without truth, your whole body, your whole being is going to be filled with darkness. Now, in our world today, there's great debate raging over who gets to decide what is true. Can I just tell you, you don't even need to listen to that debate. It was already decided long before this world was ever created. There is no debate. What God says is true. What he says is true. That means the authority of his opinion rises above all others far and above. That's so in his kingdom, but it's true for all of the the universe right so if we want our lives to be filled with his light then we must fill our eyes with his truth we must say yes to God's opinion we must say yes to viewing things the way he does otherwise otherwise we are just inviting darkness to come in and consume every part of us it's really that simple Now, we make it very complicated. In fact, Jesus speaks right into that complication that we create, all right? He describes how we call things that are actually darkness, light. See, look at what he went on to say in verse 23. I didn't read you the whole verse when when I did it just a moment ago. He goes on to say this. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how deep is the darkness? Now, what does that mean? I honestly didn't know for years what it meant. And I pretty much just kind of blew it off. I kind of annulled it like we talked about. But in recent months, as I've been meditating on this, I was like, God, I never have understood that. What does that mean? And in the secret place... Out on a prayer walk, just talking to him about it over many weeks, he began to impress on me what it means. And it has set me free to understand so much of what's going on in our world today. See, when we annul his word, we listen to others' voices instead of him. We order our lives without him, and we treasure things that he doesn't. You know what? We don't even know what end up knowing what truth is. We're not even able to see truth because our eyes have become so darkened. So you know what we start to do? We start calling things light that are actually dark. We start convincing ourselves that things that are dark are really light. And we even then parade ourselves as if they are light. So it becomes the so-called light within us, right? And Jesus says, how deep is that darkness? See, it's another level of darkness. And that is happening everywhere we look in this world today. People are calling things good that are clearly evil. People are calling it righteous to live contrary to God's truth. And they're even putting the name of Jesus on things that Jesus clearly says that he hates. And oh, how deep that darkness is. If we would just say yes to Jesus' voice, yes to his order, yes to his treasure, yes to his truth. See, verse 24 could not be more clear. It says, No one that... Leaves room for no escape, right? This is true for every one of us. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and riches. And ladies, we can't. We cannot make the riches of this world. Whether those riches are in the form of the voices and opinions of people, the affirmations and the notice and honor of people or the literal treasures of monetary wealth. If we are saying yes to all of that stuff, we cannot be saying yes to Jesus too. It just doesn't work. We have to decide who is going to get our yes. Remember the story I told you at the beginning about the people who showed up at the wrong wedding? (laughs) Yeah. They obviously didn't pay attention to the details of their invitation, and they ended up in a place that they didn't expect to be. Now, I don't know. I I didn't know them. I never found out. Did they ever end up at the right wedding? I don't know. And really, it doesn't matter because it's just a silly mishap that has no eternal value to it, right? But the invitation to Jesus' kingdom, it matters forever. It matters. So if we don't say yes to him, If we don't pay attention to what his kingdom really is, who knows where we're going to end up. Some people will say that his voice, his order of things in our hearts, his treasure in heaven, his truth, those are very narrow ways to live. Why would you want to live like that? They are very narrow ways to live, very, very narrow ways. But Jesus tells us it's the narrow gate that leads to life. May we listen. May we pay attention to the invitation, right? For our response to it matters for all of eternity.